0: Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber
1: Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies.
0: A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them.
1: As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games.
0: Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences. So take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen.
1: We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. That's Lennox. The biggest shot in the underworld is they? Isn't
0: it thrilling? Hello, Mr. Lennox. How's tricks? (laughs) Hmm. Fine as silk. Hello, and welcome to episode 33 of 50 Date Night Screams. I am here with my husband and co-host, Mike Tresca. Hey, Mike. What is going on?
1: Hello, beautiful. I'm not as excited about seeing Lon Chaney Jr. again for the third time, but... uh... The DVD wasn't lying. This can... He is... I think we made a joke originally about how we thought he was in one movie, but he he's he's here to stay. So, looking forward to... Maybe this will be the last one. I don't know.
0: Well, he's, I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's dead, right?
1: Yeah, well, he lives on in cinema.
0: <laughs> okay, great. Hey, I introduced you. I didn't introduce myself. My name is Amber Tresca. I am your co-host of the Female Persuasion. Mike is of the Male Persuasion. All right, let's get this party started. Episode 33, The Shadow of Silk Lennox from 1935. Let's go over a few of the stats on this movie. It is black and white. The director, directors, Ray Kirkwood and Jack Nelson. It has a 4.2 out of 10 on IMDb. I think that is generous. Yeah. All right, we will get into that. The length (laughs) is one hour. It could have been at least a good 10 minutes shorter than that. And the notable actor is Lon Chaney Jr. again. In a very (laughs) different role than the previous two that we have seen him in. And the hilarious tagline, which is really not all that funny, but it is a crooked nightclub owner pretending to go straight is forced to kill a henchman when the latter tries to run off with the gang's latest haul.
1: Technically true.
0: Kind of. Look, forced is a strong word. I I do believe that it was a choice to kill the henchman. I also don't think he's pretending to go straight. I think that he is doing a wink and a nod. During this whole movie. Yeah. In regard Nobody to believes he's straight. His Nobody does, but. Yeah. Illegal activities, yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. All right. A few content warnings. I will say all of these things are in this movie. I don't think that any one of them is particularly uh, forceful or deep, but we want to be complete and just let people know what we're going to be discussing. So I will say in this movie, there is assault, murder, Violence, racism, and kidnapping. Anything else, Mike?
1: Probably some misogyny, uh, yeah. and there is actually, uh, I think, violence against women, or sort of certain threats against women. I'm, I'm not sure if there's a phrase for that, but uh, for sure, the violence is not just directed at the men. There's actually violence at uh, a woman specifically as well, in the context of a relationship. It's a, it's a weird. We're never really clear. There's a whole shift in tone. But that is one other thing, too, that I think, frankly, some of the stuff you may expect violence in a sort of a gangster type film. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely some potential domestic threats.
0: Right. Right. So, like I said, I don't think that any of these things are quite pronounced except for, of course, the violence and murder. (laughs) Although... This is a horror movie review podcast. Uh, but in any case, if any of those things are going to be a problem and you might not want to listen, then we will catch you the next time. All right. So this movie. Oh, this movie. Okay. We're going to do it. Let's do it. We're going to do it.
1: Shake okay. it off. Shake it off. Here we go.
0: Shake it off. All right. Deep breaths. All right. Okay. The movie opens on Lon Chaney Jr. He's smoking. And wearing a weird striped robe. That's what I wrote in my notes. Uh, <laughs> he is going around the room and he is giving orders to the other men that are in the room. They're all smoking. They're wearing hats and suits. You get the impression that they're gangsters. He presses a button under his desk and a bookcase door opens and the men leave. Little hidden door situation there. and'm so proud friend- of that. He's so So proud of that
1: secret
0: door. I have to tell you something. (laughs) If I had such a thing, I would I yeah, I'd be proud of it too. I'd probably use it all the time. I would make people come in and out that door (laughs) all of the time if they came to my house. You wanna come see me? You gotta come through the bookcase door.
1: I think that's a great idea. We should build one. I you know,
0: you know, maybe we will one day. Okay. (laughs) So we have to talk about. The catchphrase that is throughout the movie, and he delivers it for the very first time, just a couple minutes into the movie, Lon Chaney Jr., who is Silk Lennox, okay, that's the character's name, and he says, everything's going to be fine as silk. Now- <laughs> oh, we're going to hear it
1: again, though, so don't worry. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> The next scene is a nightclub. People are dancing, and Lon Chaney Jr. saunters in again, smoking. And a man a man comes over to him and says, "I've been trailing some detectives," and so again, leading you to understand that there's some illegal activity, gangster situation going on here. And now we overhear a conversation amongst some of the people in the club, and. This is the first time that we understand that Lon Chaney Jr., the actor's name in the movie, is Silk Lennox, and they call him a big shot in the underworld. Okie dokie. Thank you for that exposition, random nightclub people. I hope that you got your SAG card from that. I don't know that SAG was a thing then. But anyway. <laughs> All right. So now we see the, we go backstage, and there is a nightclub act. It's a young man and a young woman. And they seem to be a couple. And the man is saying, look, we have to time things right. We have to help out Silk. The woman says, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to do this. And the man says, we were out of work for a really long time. Silk hired us and we owe him. So then they go out into the club and do
1: their act. All right. Uh. (laughs) (sighs) Their act. Quote. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Are we gonna talk about
1: their act or do we wait till we leave? No, because this was
0: not the one that you hated so much. Okay, that okay. comes later. Okay, we'll 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 get there. I will give you your time, okay. my dear. Okay. <laughs>
1: Thank you. All Thank right. you, my love.
0: Okay. So now the some cops come into the club, they hang out for a minute, they're watching the act. Um, somebody takes them back to see Silk backstage, and then Silk is I don't know what the word is, Mike, for his demeanor, but he gives them some cigars and drinks. It's clear that there is a relationship between Silk and the police force.
1: I have a phrase. Smarmy. 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 That's the phrase I would use. It's very kind of, I know that you know that I know that I'm up to no good, but we're going to put on this show wink, wink, no, do you know what I mean? And and the cops are like, we do know what you mean, and it's not funny, and we hate you. And and they just, that's the whole scene. So, yep, yep. smarmy. Okay.
0: Smarmy. All right, good. I like it. All right, so Silk tells these cops that he wants a better reputation for his club. He's remodeling and opening a new club called The Arabian. And then one of those, uh, a buzzer rings, And I think it's supposed to be the phone or an intercom. And it's the man from the nightclub act. I think his name is Jimmy. You could tell how much effort I put into this. I'm not really sure. (laughs) I think his name is Jimmy.
1: (laughs) Yes. It is Jimmy the crooner. Yeah.
0: Jimmy the crooner. All right. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy is talking to Silk and he says he's going to put Lefty on the phone. Of course, you know, the name like Lefty, right? We know this guy's a gangster, (laughs) right? He's one of Silk's uh, crew only what Jimmy does is he does not put Lefty on the phone. He uses a recording of Lefty's voice. So then Silk starts responding to this recording. So they have a short conversation. Silk is saying things in response to this recording of Lefty. And this is also that the cops understand that Lefty's on the phone and him and Silk are having this exchange. And therefore, Lefty can't be doing what he is actually doing at the moment which is holding up a bank and here's my discussion point that I put in the notes is that here we go again it's a phone and some kind of a phone conversation being a big part of the plot of a movie Kind of an obsession with phones in this time period,
1: and recordings like which and are new. recordings there. There is an interesting element because we talk about this how you know the the Great Depression left sort of psychic shock on society, American society, and you don't always see it manifest. You see it sort of in crime, right? So the idea is that crime is flourished because people had to make a living or you know were desperate. Um, but the two singers, Jimmy and Nora, Nora, Nora. yeah, um, she never sings. The two. <laughs> <laughs> so she performers. barely dances the, the two <laughs> performers are very anxious about it um, so I thought that was interesting the other thing I'd just like to point out is they, this we in the in the Phantom uh, Express we, they used a recording device which was a uh, a phonograph with a record and this one actually uses a cylinder which is what we were trying to say you probably think would you would use because it's a little more stable and a little more portable and that actually matters a lot because I think there's a little bit of hot potato with the fo- the cylinder that is used to record Lefty's voice, um, and it's just more manageable. I think if it was a, a big record disc, record. it wouldn't yeah. have been. Yeah, it yeah wouldn't be the same. Yeah,
0: this was using the cylinder. That's a plot point that I can get behind, and, and I'm yeah. also kind of a little obsessed with that technology. Like I, just I know, <laughs> find it so interesting, and it's and it's one of those things that it's like why vinyl and not the cylinders i'm sure there's very good reasons and i'm sure somebody who's listening will tell me (laughs) about it but i i i do find it um uh just really so interesting that that was what people used for recordings at that time and a lot more portable than a record as you as you said
1: yeah and it's also interesting because jimmy And I guess Nora, in in conjunction with him, really point out that this implicates them, right? Irrevocably, Lefty isn't even there. Look, you either believe Jimmy's talking to Lefty and they're covering up a crime, or you know that this is a recording and Jimmy is committing some kind of fraud with the intent to deceive the police. But whatever the case, part of this setup is really to implicate Jimmy as a sort of a co-conspirator in the whole thing and it's very quick until later it becomes clear that they start realizing how bad that is because i i guess jimmy's not a criminal per se and he's sort of doing this because he he feels like he has to um but it's a really bad thing for him now i would argue there's a lot of other bad things going on that maybe they should be worried about and not that but they turn it into like the driving force of the movie that he is his fingerprints, audio fingerprints in this case, are all over this thing. And he's going to go down if Silk goes down.
0: Right. In a way. All right. Also, I'm not really sure why, if you have actual henchmen, why you would have your nightclub act do this for you. Right. Um, anyway. Okay. So next, they have that whole conversation, whatever. And next we see Silk is handing over some cash to one of the detectives. So they're all in his pocket. Anyway, okay, or some of them are. And then the gang comes back. They say, oh, everything went fine. And this is something that I don't, I didn't understand. I watched it, made the notes, whatever, but I don't know. There's a car chase scene. There's two cars. There's two cops on motorcycles. They pull over one of the cars. The man driving it is named Carlson. And I'm not really sure what's going on at this point. It's just sort of this, like, an aside.
1: So there's... This is the two cars driving next to each other, where one of the robbers gets out and cha- they do a handoff with the money, right? Okay. So the police see this, but cannot figure out where the money. This is how the money is in Changes play, his hands. right? Okay. Because they do this clever kind of like two cars driving next to each other, throw the money, throw the guy in too. And so they have Carlson, I guess, but they don't have whoever the guy who absconds with this money. But he's out in the wind. This is how he did it. Um, I don't know if that was Silk's plan. I assume it was because everything Silk does seems to be obvious and stupid. And then you go, oh, he must have had a master plan behind it. Um, But in this case, it was very much this sort of other vehicle because they mentioned that. They're like, where's the other car? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, where's the other guy? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so the money's gone. At least one of the bank robbers is gone and they can't find this other car, which is ridiculous because they obviously saw it, but lost it immediately. So, right. yeah, right. that's that's the purpose of that whole little okay. exchange. And they, so that so that's how the confusing. money gets. So, yeah, that's how the money gets in out of Silk's control, essentially.
0: OK. All right. I did watch it several times. <laughs> okay. OK, so now we, we see the cops. They're talking about the heist. And there's just a ton of exposition here. They say that one policeman died, two citizens were wounded, and $50,000 were stolen. And that they just lay everything out so we know exactly what happened there. They know it was Silk, but they also say that he's gotten away with so much in the past. So they're kind of throwing up their hands and going, like, we don't know. He's probably going to get away with this, too. But this time, something's different. And the feds are there. And the feds are like... We're going to make this happen. We're going to figure out what's going on and we're going to get some real evidence because you all keep bringing in Silk on nothing but conjecture. And that's why he keeps getting out and that he has a clever lawyer. So if there were any sort of confusion or wondering why I am so confused, we are at 16 minutes into the movie. Okay, so a lot of things happened. All right, and I have here in my notes that all of these actors are delivering their lines like Redwoods. So not a lot of great acting here. Lon Chaney Jr. did his part, but pretty much nobody else. Okay, now we see that there's a spy in the police department. He was listening to the conversation that was happening there, and he gives that information to Silk's lawyer. And lawyer says to Silk... This stuff that we've been pulling, it's not going to work with the feds. So, you need to be more careful. And Silk probably delivers his tagline and just says, eh, whatever. Okay. (laughs) All right. Now, at this point, this is when we find out that one of the henchmen, his name is Deacon. Okay. So, this was Deacon that took off with the money.
1: In the other car. In the other Mm -hmm. car.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, they have found out somehow that he's going to leave town... On a train that night. So the gang goes to the train station to intercept him. And they do. And they pull him into a bathroom. (laughs) And you can't see my face because this is a podcast. (laughs) But they pull him into a bathroom that has a bathroom attendant. And there's another man in there who's just using the bathroom. (laughs) And they decide that they are going to do their gang activity in this place. They don't throw these two men out. They just, like, push them into a stall. Okay. So this is their this is their grand plan. And they're arguing with Deacon. And then they shoot him. And kill him. And then the cops show up. And the cops start shooting through the bathroom door. Silk returns fire through the door. Smiling the whole time. You know, I have to say, Lon Chaney Jr., You know, were you to see him in person, I'm quite sure that that, he got away with a lot of things flashing that smile. Uh So I'll give him that. Um, And then the whole gang, which I think is three or four guys, and they're not little people, okay? They go out through the the men's room window, and somehow the cops don't catch them. (laughs) Nobody thought they'd go out the window.
1: And there's so many – I mean, beyond the – I don't care if there's witnesses in the bathroom and not just executing the witnesses in the bathroom because I'm a little bit like either you're bloodthirsty or you're you're tricky. But you, 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 you this weird combination of I'm tricky sometimes but sometimes I'm bloodthirsty doesn't make any sense because for one, I thought Deacon for sure was going to say if you kill me, you're not going to find out where I hid the money. They don't seem to know. So they murder him punitively with no idea what it was, you know, it, I think one of the questions was, how big a deal was this money to Silk? It was actually a big deal.
0: Well, it was $50,000. $50,000. I did not look up what that is in today's dollars. but
1: I just was like, you killed him, you dumbasses. Why did I'm you do really that? I'm not really
0: sure if they knew or not where the money was. But they at didn't that ask. Point, or they found out right after. Yeah, it wasn't like they asked him questions. It wasn't like they took him out and took him back to the nightclub right. and questioned him. They just They just shot him. No, it's right. just over. I
1: totally don't understand. But anyway, that causes all kinds of problems for them. Because now, instead of torturing slash taking him back or forcing him to tell them where the money is, which you would think any criminal worth his criminal assault would do, uh, they now don't know where it is. So there's a little bit like, we just murdered a person, implicated ourselves, caused trouble in, in you know daylight, essentially committed a crime, had to run away, got shot at. I mean, Simp didn't think it was a big deal because he thought it was funny the whole time. And then, uh, and now they're on the run, both from the cops who potentially have witnesses, and they don't have their money. So I don't know what they accomplished other than murdering a guy so he feels better about punching him.
0: Hey, Mike, where does one get criminal salt? <laughs> in Is there a in place?
1: the in the criminal aisle.
0: In the criminal aisle. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah
0: okay i'm gonna have to they recently rearranged the grocery store and i don't know where anything is now i'm willing about that i'm walking right past the criminal salt aisle i'm gonna i'm gonna go and look for that
1: next time okay please do okay it's spicier it's spicier (laughs)
0: You know, my club's had a bad reputation with the police for a long time,
1: and I want to change all that. Well, it'll have to be a big change. Oh, now I kind of thought that you'd see it my way. Come on now, Silk. What are you driving at? Why well, nothing? But uh, I'm just remodeling and changing the policy of my club.
0: Okay, so they they know Deacon stole the money, and they figured out that it is locked up in a vault at the train station. I think. Okay. It's so a slight little confusion here. It doesn't matter. It's an vault. And now the cops are like, "All right, we got him. We're gonna arrest Silk because he murdered he murdered Deacon." But before they even get to that point, Jimmy the Crooner comes in, comes in to see Silk in his office or whatever, and says, "Hey, uh, you guys did that bank robbery." <laughs> and it's a little bit like, "No shit, Sherlock. You didn't know what you were." agreeing to did you you know and silk is like uh yeah you need to keep quiet or i'm going to do bad things to you and uh jimmy's like okay so <laughs> now the cops are telling silk look we have two witnesses which they do who saw silk kill deacon and they arrest silk they think that they finally got they they got something to pin on him and they're going to they're going to keep him there jimmy goes back to see his dancer girlfriend her name is Nora and he says you were right he's a crook and then she says i told you so it's just i suppose, <laughs> i think it's supposed to be funny so it was just like oh we're you know a bunch of people were killed and hurt and there's money missing and that's probably it's a felony yeah, and we're and- implicated and
1: i told you so as you said earlier He has other criminals who could have done this. Why would he pick this dumbass to do this, who obviously is anxious about being involved? The other thing, too, is Jimmy makes this worse. Jimmy should have been like, I have no idea. And he could have at least argued he was doing it as a favor. He was told to just do the recording and then tell the police if he got caught. You know, I don't know. I was just told to do this one thing. He very specifically to Silk's face says, I've connected the dots. I'm now an accessory to your crime. You stole from, you know, you robbed a bank. If he had just kept his mouth shut and said, oh, I didn't know. He just told me to do this recording. It wouldn't have been so bad. But no, Jimmy is very self-destructive. Mm,
0: <laughs> By so the
1: annoying. way, I looked it up. Okay. Guess how much $50,000 is in twenty twenty-four dollars dollars A million? Guess. Over. 1000000 one hundred and forty four thousand five hundred and seventy four dollars and sixty three cents in twenty twenty four currency. So wow. way more than I realized. fifty thousand didn't seem like a lot to me, honestly, but now I'm like, it's a million, yeah. That's
0: okay. a lot. That's you a lot. Would,
1: one would think, one would want to know the location of that before one would murder one of your henchmen. Correct. But, Correct.
0: You know. Okay. But uh, you know, we're we're uh we're playing by different criminal assault rules here. <laughs> Okay, so the next thing we see is we see a cat burglar—that's the name that I gave this situation—climbing in through a window at night. They're going through a chest of drawers. It goes on for like five minutes. And then we see this is probably going on in the—where the the dancer and Jimmy live or their dressing room. I don't know. And— the, the Her name is Nora. Oh, my God. Her name is Nora, the dancer. She says she's going to keep the recording of Lefty as insurance. So Silk doesn't do anything to them. Okay. But this cat burglar actually finds it and steals it. And so now they got nothing.
1: I, I still don't understand what the hell happened here. I hope you figured it out because I don't.
0: I, I'm not really sure who that was.
1: <laughs> I don't think it's ever resolved. I really don't because it doesn't.
0: One of I the don't gang, remember. Um, yeah but
1: but silk seems to not know where it is, right? I thought he makes yeah, that so point I, later. I, I, so I who took it? the feds?
0: I don't I don't know. I don't know.
1: I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense to me is the feds did it. But then they would be like, we have the evidence. So I
0: don't uh, well, there was something that we forgot to mention at the beginning of this, and that this is a post Hayes code
1: movie hmm
0: So I don't think that they would have them breaking and entering. <laughs> right? They
1: have them do other stuff, but okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, well, you know. <laughs> anyway.
0: All right. Yeah. It is never quite resolved. So... But anyway, somebody has the cylinder, and it is not Silk, and it is not Nora. All right. Now, Silk has been arrested, so he's at the police station. He's concerned because he doesn't know any of these feds, and he hasn't been able to bribe them. So... He is in trouble. So he says, I'm not saying anything until my lawyer gets here. So the cops decide they're going to do a lineup because they have those two witnesses. They have the bathroom attendant and the other man. And so they set that whole thing up. A little more comic relief in there, I guess. (laughs) Haha, so funny. A lineup. So these two witnesses are in the room to observe the lineup. And there's two cops in there. And the two cops are going, well... The last people that tried to ID Silk or pin something on Silk wound up dead. So, if I was a witness, I'd be, you know, updating my life insurance or something like that. And these two eyewitnesses, they're just like dudes. They're just like regular dudes. And they're like, I'm not, I'm not playing this game. And they don't ID Silk at all. So, even that situation goes nowhere. Silk is waiting to get out. And he, so he's in lockup and they bring another man in and put, put this man in lockup with Silk. And this dude, he says his name is Farley. And Silk gets out on bail and he tries to figure out how he can also get Farley out because Farley is a safe cracker and their money is in a vault. And so they need somebody to crack it open. Convenient. Wow. Convenient. All right. (laughs) And just as they're talking about how we're going to get Farley out of jail, Farley walks in, holding a gun on everybody, by the way. I don't know why. You know? And then somehow, out of this situation, comes Silk talking Farley into cracking a safe for them and putting away the gun, and they all have a drink. (laughs) So that's that's what happens there. Okay. It's a
1: criminal worth his salt. Yes. Yes. For sure.
0: Maybe so. Remember Silk said he was going to open a new club? We're at the opening of this new club. There's this boring musical number. And then Silk decides at this point that he really needs to get that cylinder of the recording of Lefty's voice. So he goes to Nora's dressing room and he assaults her and threatens her. And he threatens her. She threatens him. But she doesn't even have the recording. It's not even there. She doesn't even know where it is. It's gone.
1: And this dialogue is different so Nora's very cutesy with Jimmy the crooner with Silk she's pretty blunt fairly aggressive like I think she's quite brave with him but there's also the implication that they know each other pretty well because he's sort of like hey you want to work at this club like you know she's not some rando kind of girlfriend off to the side she's actively involved in the club Silk knows who she is so it's interesting because there was a different vibe with her and him that felt a little bit, I thought for a second there, she was working for him secretly or something. They were, they seemed so cozy a little bit. And then of course he starts threatening her and she's sort of ready to threaten him back. Um, which again, sort of seems out of ca- She's very anxious about everything up to this point. And then she's like, screw you buddy. I got, I got, I'll blackmail you if I have to. Um, and of course that all falls apart because of <laughs> miscellaneous burglar stealing a thing but uh, it was interesting because this dialogue scene, the way they, they acted it felt like there was some kind of relationship that was never explored or left on the cutting room floor. Not that there was cutting not, nobody was editing this film but whatever was left over from the, that didn't make it in because it did feel like they knew each other in a way that uh, probably affected the plot potentially.
0: It was ugly. It was, yeah. you know, you're going along and you've got this Uh, you know, this high energy gangster film and yes, people are killed in it. Silk with his winking and nodding at the camera and so forth. And then all of a sudden you have this ugly little scene between the two of them where he's assaulting her and she's hitting him and and they're threatening one another all for naught. Because neither one of them can really do anything to the other. I mean, I guess Silk could get rid of her too. It doesn't need her anymore i don't know but he'd have to get rid of jimmy as well so anyway so now the cops are looking for farley and the gang is trying to keep farley hidden so there's some more comic relief here where farley um steals a costume from one of the men that's working in the club it's called the arabian right so they're all they're wearing like middle eastern dress so nobody recognizes Farley when he's he's wearing this um this outfit.
1: And they actually say, "Oh, I want he he's not disguised yeah. as one of those guys." And it's the not like, like Farley's okay. one of the
0: guys in the right outfits. Yeah, and they
1: don't check. They're like, "Okay, okay." Uh, but speaking of comic relief, this is Nora's dance, right? It's coming up. Okay, All it's right. coming up. I'm waiting. Okay. I'm waiting. Okay, let me
0: get there. Let me say the words. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Silk tells the band leader. Look, the cops are probably coming to raid the place and just keep playing until I tell you otherwise. So, by the way, everybody knows what's going on. I guess if you work in the club, you would know that your boss is a crook. But it's just kind of, like, wild that even the talent is in on everything and is also doing what Silk tells them to do, covering for him. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty amazing. Although that conductor... That was some wild conducting, so I don't know. Maybe that's what you get.
1: Maybe Everybody he... in this movie is faking it. Everybody is it faking it. Just... Every single thing about this film is not authentic. I was like, and... sir,
0: have you never seen a conductor conduct previously? Because nope. I don't know what that is. Looks like you're trying to land a plane, take or take off with your Semaphore. arms flapping. I don't even, so far. I don't know what he was doing. It was comical, but At this point, because when Nora comes out and does her dance, okay, look, I don't know. I'm not a critic. I'm not a, you know, modern dance critic. I have no idea what this was. Mike has things to say about it. Go ahead, Mike.
1: I'm sorry. Look, this movie feels like no one knew what actually was involved with the film. Like they all sort of, they were actors, God bless them, doing their best to act, but none of them did any research. And Nora doesn't know how to dance. I'm sorry. I don't know. This looks like she made (laughs) it up on the fly. Like it literally looked like they were like dance. And she was like, okay. And she sort of spins and twirls. Uh, It is so bad. And it's funny because I've seen criticism of several actresses and say, you know, they can't sing, can't dance. I've never felt that way. Not once, except at this moment. Because it is such an, a weirdly awkward, not feeling choreographed. And also, she's sort of swaying and kind of doing stuff that you could see someone doing who's just sort of going along with the music. But it's certainly not a choreographed dance. And certainly not a professional dancer. Um, so it's just super awkward. And, you know, Jimmy, I, the actor, is presumably really singing. I, f- I feel like that comes off. because, And he sings the same song like eight times in this film. I don't know. I, I felt like we heard it a dozen times um, but her dancing, cause we don't know what she's doing. He sort of sings to her and she sort of looks at him and bats her eyelashes. And we kept on like, what is she supposed to, well, now we know <laughs> it's not dance. I don't know what that was, but it was basically run around the room a few times and spin, <laughs> but it, just like the conducting. It feels like everybody sort of knew what they were supposed to do and then didn't have any instruction how to do it. So they just make it up. I think you even wrote the notes that you said the French is, somebody uses French and it's not even French. Like, I don't know what's happening.
0: <laughs> I don't know where that is in the notes. Maybe we'll get there. But look, the actress, she, was, she looked amazing. She looked She's amazing. Beautiful. beautiful. I have no notes. The dress looked great. She looked fantastic. So I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> She did a great job. All right. (laughs) Moving along. It was quite a long dance. It wasn't like the little... Where they start dancing and then you see, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds of it, and then they cut away to something else. You saw the whole thing. So that was different.
1: Well, okay. as is the case with a lot of these films, this is the eye candy scene, right? So this is sort of how you get okay. your. They should often have a bare
0: midriff too, which I was also like. It was nineteen thirty-five. Yeah. If you don't. I don't. I don't know why. I don't expect to see that, but I didn't. Yeah. But this is usually the either,
1: where the the woman in this is often on the poster, right? It's usually from a scene like this. Um, so it <laughs> makes sense. Okay. If you don't, ha- if there's no movement, it serves its purpose.
0: Okay. All right. Oh, <laughs> here's my note that. Farley being the comic relief in this part of the movie. And uh, yeah, he's talking in something that is like, like nonsense French. (laughs) It sounded to me like if you were to like talk in English, but just say like a bunch of words, that's what it sounded like. His French was like, he was just like saying words. The
1: whole film gives off this. I forgot my homework vibe. And people are just BSing their way through the script.
0: It was probably very funny. And I don't, I don't know. I didn't really think about this until exactly just this moment. But how did Americans feel about French people at that time? So if they heard French in a movie, would that be like an automatic laugh? Because we're like, oh, yeah, those French people. They're I a think bunch generally of fucking
1: Yeah, I think, generally, <laughs> I think generally speaking, they just assumed nobody cared that much and paid that close attention. I really think okay. that was sort of the vibe is, you know, you wouldn't know. What would, how would you know?
0: How Don't. would you know that all these years later, these two assholes would watch a movie three or four times <laughs> and then do a, do a podcast on it? You would never, you could never guess such a thing. They're all, they're all, they're all out there, like, in the ether, in the universe going, well, damn it, I would have fucking done a better job had I known this was going to happen.
1: should have taken those dance lessons. should have yes. some dance lessons.
0: All right. Okay, so the cops, they can't find Farley. So they throw up their hands. Oh, well, we can't find Farley. Whatever. And so they leave. And so now Silk and his gang are going to take Farley, and they're going to go, and they're going to crack open that vault. But before they do, Jimmy comes in, and Jimmy and Silk get into a slap fight, one of the the many slap fights of this era of movies. And the gang decides, well, they're going to kidnap Jimmy, and Nora. And Nora comes in, and she threatens Silk again, and it's a whole scene. But the gang's going to take the two of them with them, presumably so that they don't go to the cops in that moment. I don't know why they don't just tie him up and leave him there, or find somebody else to babysit them, but that's what they decide to do. Farley talks to the other gang members, and he's like, he talks them into letting him have Jimmy. So they pull over somewhere on their way to the vault. Farley pulls Jimmy out of the car, and they go off camera. It's dark. It's night. And you hear a gunshot. And then Farley comes back to the car and they take off again. All right. So you're led to believe that Farley took Jimmy to the side and shot him. And that that was me at that point going, oh, no. I, you know, I was. <laughs> when the shot happened, I was like, ah, you know. So, all right. So they get to this building where the vault is in it. It might be the train station or it might not. It's still unclear to me. So they put a lookout outside. That is reasonable. That makes sense. Good thing to do. There's some criminal salt being, you know, scattered <laughs> around there. So, and then Farley is cracking the safe. He's kind of taking his time about it, though. Okay? And we see that the lookout gets pulled away with the old hand-over-the-mouth type of thing. So there's no more lookout at his post. And Farley starts complaining, why is Nora here? And it's not good to have a woman here or whatever he says. That's, you know, I don't know what he says, but that's what they're always saying, that they don't want a woman around. And then he says, I think Nora should just lay down on the floor and stay there. And it was like, I was like, say what now?
1: You know, Mm -hmm. that was
0: a wild thing to say. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And there's a shootout. (laughs) And in this moment, every single one of Silk's henchmen is killed. One by one, they're all shot. Yes. Except for Farley. And why is that? Why is that, Mike?
1: Because he was a G Man in disguise. In
0: disguise.
1: Undercover, yeah. really. Undercover, yeah.
0: Undercover.
1: Yeah, and, and and of course, which you I just mentioned just before we got out here. The whole setup is that they're in the vault. So he opens the vault and the cops or the G-men or whatever comes streaming out of the vault. And which is how, because he times it, right? That's the point is when he, because they keep going, what's taking so long? What's taking so long? Come on, open the vault. And he's like, give me a second, give me a second. And he's waiting and he's waiting and he's sort of leading up and he keeps trying to give Nora these hints that she should duck. Uh, and then he opens the safe and it's like, aha, I was... You fool! It was me all along. And, uh... Yeah. yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. he was
0: waiting for the lookout, for somebody to deal with the lookout outside. Maybe. I, I don't know. And then I don't know how that message was passed. Maybe with some tapping or something. Like, that would make sense. Look, I'm oh, adding yeah. things to this film at this point. <laughs> that the cops inside the vault should have been doing Morse code, and that Farley could have been doing Morse code back, and they could have been communicating. Whatever. Okay. It's yeah. fine. Okay. Farley, Farley was the spy. Okay. So... Silk is also shot. Oh. And, but he lives long enough to deliver that catchphrase one more time. It's going to be fine as Silk.
1: I'm so glad. I was really like, please, please, please say your catchphrase one more time. And he did. He delivered. He's Good delivered. job, Lon Chaney he Jr.
0: Yeah. Probably Silk, you know, the, the character, probably laid awake at night. <laughs> Thinking to himself, if I ever get shot, i got to remember to say that
1: one last time. <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense why he says No. But, you know, he did say it. It was his catchphrase. And he stuck to his uh, his script. So yep, you He know. sure
0: did. All Good right. Good job. So the cops are pulling Nora out. She's screaming that she didn't do anything. And now we're at the end of the movie. By the way, I don't know if I said this all takes place in like 10 minutes, this whole end <laughs> yeah. of... The movie. of course uh-huh of course so <laughs> we're back at the police station and the movie is wind winding down and the cops are all the cops and the feds are all sitting in and they're congratulating each other and they're like we took them all out well we finally we got rid of them all they're not gonna bother us anymore it's <laughs> a little bit they're, <laughs> they're kind of happy about it and I'm like you you just you you murdered people <laughs> right You know, like, I don't, did it have to go down that way? I don't really, I don't really know. And then here comes the second twist. Are you ready for it, Mike?
1: I'm I'm holding on. All right.
0: Farley was a spy, right? So guess what? Jimmy comes in because Farley did not shoot Jimmy. He just got him out of the car.
1: Uh Everybody's
0: laughing. (laughs) Jimmy and Nora are... Holding each other, I don't think they were kissing, but yeah, ha ha ha. All's well that ends well. The end. Crime doesn't pay, kids. Crime doesn't pay. Stay out of that criminal cell aisle. You don't need to be there.
1: I'm never gonna live this down. Yes. It's very do, funny. Not, it's very do not, do not engage with criminal spiciness. No. I just... Did you so did you not realize that Farley was a undercover guy? Did you not?
0: Not when he pulled Jimmy out of the car, no. No, oh, I did totally. not. yes.
1: I was like, oh, my God. Farley was so ridiculous. Because he was like, hey, I can get out of this jail, you know, by myself. Yeah. And they were yeah. like... Really, and 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 at one point, I think he's almost like, should I leave him? Should I go back for him? Because Silk is all in. They were trying, like, yeah. Wow. They
0: were talking about trying to get him out because they yeah. wanted him.
1: And he's like, I told you, I'd get out. And then he comes in with a gun. He's like, Look, I'm a badass. I'll shoot any one of you because I'm nuts. You should hire me. And they're like, which, by the way, is like the worst plan. He doesn't just come in and go, hey, because part of the point is that he's a wanted criminal. So they made him. Really problematic to hire. Like he actually he was really unattractive to use in your gang, I would think, well, because he's on the lam. He didn't sort of sneak out. He's. They said, "Oh, the cops are looking for him because he broke out of prison."
0: Yeah, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter because they needed somebody to open this vault. What I don't understand is is that you you usually do not let someone into your criminal empire unless somebody else vouches for them. Okay. Yeah. You got to have their criminal assaults around. So I don't understand why they, <laughs> were, de- his, his... they were desperate. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yes. They were desperate.
1: Well, and, and the problem is there's not really a time frame bound to this, right? It's implied that there's they're under pressure, right? Because somebody's going to get to this vault soon if they don't get to it. But they never really set that up right. Like, you don't know. Is there other gangs looking for it? Are the police going to find it? I don't know. Uh, and frankly, obviously, the police did find it. They got to it well yeah, before they already
0: knew they already and knew. and
1: and now oh my god i don't believe i'm just getting this now now i think let's take this fully back the two cars split deacon yeah. is in one he's the guy who jumps with the money he gets yeah. arrested the police spread the 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 false rumor that there's money in a vault that was always the plan
0: oh
1: uh, right but so, why
0: i mean why do any of that i mean they it's like and then how do you get away with if If you didn't have any witnesses that were willing to say anything, none of the people that were in the bank when they held it up were willing to be witnesses. The two men in the bathroom were not willing to be witnesses. Yet somehow it's okay to spring out of a vault and kill a bunch of people? Like that's allowed? Uh, Oh, you mean like the government-
1: the G Man solution to this is to like completely entrap people and murder them. That's yeah. Oh, yeah. The government.
0: They yes. still didn't have anything, quote, on them. Right. They just killed them because yeah. they were there with guns.
1: Right. and Well, and then the other thing that happens in this film a lot is the lawyer seems to have magic powers. That was the other thing where he finally is yeah. like, I can't even get you out of this. But there's a whole like, he'll be like, my lawyer's going to do whatever.
0: Yes. And yeah I'm the lawyer was it. like paying everybody off, probably.
1: And he's like, yeah, I did. I did. And then finally he was like, look. With the government agents, I can't. So we're going to have a problem if you keep this up. And of course, he doesn't listen. And he's kind of abusive to his lawyer, too, which is just everything Silk does is terrible. He is a terrible criminal. No salt. He's terrible.
0: You know what, though? He's got a nice smile. He's got a catchphrase.
1: He, I mean, he, he honestly, you know what this reminds me of? He reminds me of a G.I. Joe villain. That's kind of the phrase. Like, he has a catchphrase. Yeah. He's super incompetent. Or but Teenage Mutant r- like, Ninja
0: Turtles. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Like, Shredder. Like, one of those guys. He's, like, this cartoonishly bad-at-his-job villain. But he's a villain. Like, you, there's no way you don't know he is a villain. And he's got charisma. He does. That's If he's got nothing else, he's definitely got, like, a vibe going on. But, man, you're like, how did this moron make it this far? He murders people who know where his money is. He trusts people he shouldn't trust who he just met. I don't understand yeah. it. But uh, he died at the end. So, sorry. Oh, well. still.
0: I do think there is a there is a kernel of a halfway decent story in here. I do. It's just, it, it could have been done better, maybe with more money, better writers. Somebody that could actually conduct an orchestra with some kind of.
1: <laughs> I love that's the thing that offends you the most about this film.
0: I don't know why <laughs> that's it was really just hilarious. That guy who's why. on
1: screen for like a minute, you're like that asshole is not conducting.
0: <laughs> let not so talk weird. about the rest of it. <laughs> it was just weird. So,
1: well, and, but you made a point. You did make the point too. This is um, post hays Code, uh, yeah. so this is coming down hard on crime doesn't pay um frankly implying that the cops are corrupt but government is good and that these these sort of federal agents can get it done at whatever cost and whatever method um that you should be worried about and and silk sort of starts to get a a vibe on this which is funny because he never gets put puts the two and two together but he is like i don't know you guys and they're like don't worry about it right because he does meet some of the agents and he's like none of them are on my payroll
0: yeah he knows He's worried about it. But he
1: never changes anything well, to adjust I think,
0: for it. I think then he just goes balls to the wall. Like, I yeah, think that's why and, he just starts doing what you know, he that worked, does, you know? that worked out great. That worked out great. I didn't think about that either, though, that, that the movie did say that your... By the way, they were in a city. It wasn't like they were in the middle of nowhere. So it was your local police force, even in a mm-hmm. city, could be corruptible, but feds are not. Yeah. So, that was interesting. That had to be a real fun thing for people who were actually on the police force at that time to see that that message was the one that was given in this movie. Right. So, interesting. Well, then I have to ask the big question. (sighs) No, you don't. (laughs) Is it a horror movie or is it something else?
1: Well, I mean, that dancing was horrible. The conducting was horrible. There's a lot of horrible things in it. But no, this is, I don't know what the hell's happening with this film set. Who thought this was horror? i It's even screamy. Is it scream worthy? Are people screaming? I don't know what's happening.
0: When Jimmy got shot, it was, a, to me, it was like a jump scare a little bit, you know? Sometimes I'm viewing these movies. Here's the thing, is that sometimes I'm watching a movie, and if it's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie, like, I for sure am sitting there Wheels turning. I got to figure this. I got to figure this out. I got to know what's going on. These movies, bro, I'm just watching them like I got one brain cell in my head. And I'm just watching it and I'm accepting it as it comes. Radical acceptance. I'm practicing it during these movies. So when stuff happens, I am sometimes like, oh, my gosh, you know, what happened? So but no, not a horror movie. Not in any sense of the word. I don't even know. It's like crime drama. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's it's sort gangster of a, film? a gangster film drama. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, there's there were plenty of these, and we've seen a few in this collection. Um, but this is the first one I feel like that was post-Haze, where yes. it's very like, crime doesn't pay, kids, and, you know, the government's going to come in and clean up your mess, and they'll entrap you and murder you if you don't do it right. Yeah. So, it, yeah. you know, it was definitely interesting. and And, you know... I made a joke about Lon Chaney Jr., but boy, we've seen his range. I mean, yes. we've seen him as played as this 100%. sort of drunken sailor, two different characters, sort of a some kind of investigator also a detective, we, and, right? A detective and, and another uh, drunken
0: character, another
1: drunken character. Okay, maybe not that much range. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then and then this criminal guy. So yeah. it was interesting. What
0: a various. But the detective in the other movie was was just a very straight kind of a regular guy, you know. Right. Um. This guy was more of the suave trying to pull things over on everybody and he had a lot of plates spinning and really wasn't able to handle it in the end. But yeah, no. certainly some range.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, we're going to give this movie some ratings and this is our own rating system which consists of knives, glasses of wine, and screams. We're going to give it between 0 and five of those things. And we're going to start with knives. And knives represents what was the body count? How scary was it? Was it gory? Or did it live up to its title? Between zero and five, how many knives do you think for the shadow of Silk Lennox, Mike?
1: I'm a little salty about this. <laughs> That's it. That's my rating. The end. No. Um, two and a half. <laughs> this is kind of stressful, uh, you know, when you think about some of this stuff. Um, especially, there's, you know, I was pulled in the jury duty recently, and I had to think a lot about this. Which was that, you know, they made a comment that Silk and witness uh, intimidates witnesses and juries. Uh, and part of this, which is not very convincing, although you see it intentionally with the two witnesses in the bathroom, is that uh, Silk runs things without a concern about the law. And the reason he does that is because he's intimidating everybody. I mean, that's essentially what comes out, especially as you see it later, is that he's got someone everywhere. He's paying them off or he's intimidating them. So you don't want to be a rando off the street and have that. And that's, I think that's scary. Uh, to your point about, you know, there's an execution, even if it's fake, it's pretty dire. Silk himself is abusive, uh, straight up abusive. So they make it clear he's not, he's, he actually gets his hands dirty uh he always we also were like i don't know why he went to the bathroom he did not need to go to the bathroom to do this execution he didn't even need to be there but he decided to be there also so he yeah, went you with would his dad that
0: he would have kept his hands out of that one but he went. totally yeah
1: you add all this up and i again I, I go back to i think two and a half is about right which is the, we don't see a lot on screen um but it, this is a violent underworld and it doesn't pull punches actually um and you know there's a a couple of people who really push Silk's buttons, Jimmy the crooner being one, Nora the other, who basically stand up to him and I think get kind of terrified into their places. Uh, Silk is not someone to mess with. So, um, I, no, I, I'd give it two and a half I, just for that, for the a lot of the sort of psychological terror that, that I think the film's trying to convince you is happening to the characters.
0: Right. I think I will give it two, and that's mainly for the body count because... The, the entire gang ended up dead by the end of it and oh yeah we've seen that too a lot of these movies of this uh, of this era either i think all up until this point were pre-haze where you're only seeing one or two deaths and usually off screen and this one there was two shootouts you know, yeah. and then in the end, everybody ended up dead, so... And it
1: was like a real shootout, too, like what we're used to. It wasn't... We've seen a right. couple, like, you hear a gun go off, or like, you bang, don't, bang! No, you saw, blow. like, the
0: door <laughs> splintering and, right. and all of that. So, yeah, for sure. Okay. All right, so now we're going to move on to glasses of wine, and this represents, was it fun to watch? Did it have any unique moments? How many glasses of wine between zero and five, Mike, do you
1: think? Well, I, I'll, I guess I'll say on the one hand... I like, like you said, I kind of like the plot concept, like the the overall setup. I thought was interesting, where it's the perspective of the criminal. Frankly, you see a lot of his operations. Very often, you're seeing it from like Jimmy the Crooner would normally be your main entry into this. Uh, Jimmy and Nora, and they're almost side characters, really. Like they're involved, but you don't really see their perspective nearly as much. It's really Silk's perspective, uh, which is interesting. So it gets a little bit more leeway for me because I, I found that interesting. But the movie is just bad. Like, the script is terrible. The way it's written is just all over the place. Silk makes terrible decisions. um, And almost every terrible decision is really to set up the next plot point, right? So the reason he makes the bad decision is to... what On uh, TV tropes they call the idiot ball. You have to hand the idiot ball to the next person because then that means the plot happens. And there's no good reason to hand it off. It's just because that keeps the plot going. So there's a lot of idiot ball... uh, handoffs going on here and silk facilitates a lot of that with his terrible decision making so that unfortunately harms it um the the, <laughs> the the lack of any attention to detail to anything be it dancing or conducting or frenching <laughs> does not work very well so i'm gonna give it two. two oh, glasses.
0: okay all right yeah I am trying to think about was there anything unique about the soundtrack or the cinematography or anything like that it was it was pretty straightforward there really wasn't anything that was terribly unique about the movie making here you know it was just like a straightforward gangster movie and the character of Silk just went headlong into the thing never a moment of doubt second guessing himself listening to what anyone told him etc uh so i'm actually only going to give it one glass of wine because it really didn't bring anything new to the genre except for the fact that the feds killed everybody at the end that was yeah. that was it and that people were i guess if you want to call that brought to justice that was that was what happened so all right and our last rating is an overall rating that is screams that does not have to be a median between knives and glasses of wine between zero and five screams.
1: Mike, what do you think? One and a half bottles of salt.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, we should so, go with
1: salt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's just not a good film. I, you know, so I, I was, I, I will say that I was entertained partially because I was mad about it. Um, so I, I'm willing to give it more leeway there, but I did not think it was a good film. I mean, partially because it was short. Partially because this felt like a Lon Cheney Jr. acting vehicle for him, uh, partially because uh, half of it doesn't make any sense, and um, it's just not a great film in my opinion. So for that one and a half salts, right.
0: <laughs> I think. I mean, honestly, probably the best scene was when he pulls Jimmy out of the car and pretends to shoot him. That was that was probably the best part of the whole movie. And there, there was, you know, the twist at the end. So that, and then the, you know, the double twist. So that was pretty good. That was pretty good. But you, you did see it coming. I think if you gave it a moment's thought, which I really didn't. But, um, so, (laughs) (laughs) um, so I'm going to have to give it one scream. It just didn't have a lot. I didn't hate it. It wasn't like some of the other ones that I was like, wow, do I hate this movie? But, um, I'm not going to watch it again. I don't need to go back to it again. I don't think I'm going to get anything out of it watching it another time. I did watch it three times, I think. God bless you. And some parts (laughs) of it uh, a few times, there were still some things that didn't make sense to me, you know, which is it I don't know. I'm willing to let it go, I guess. One scream. I'm I'm good. We're fine. We're all fine here. How are you? (laughs) Never discuss it again. (laughs) Let's let's never discuss it again. (laughs) All right, Mike, you created a character to go along with this movie that is for use in tabletop role-playing games. Tell me, who is this character?
1: <laughs> well, look, so it is nice to get a cartoon-esque level of villainy. Because <laughs> um, that makes my job
0: Mustache twirling <laughs> <easy. laughs> yeah. level of... Yes. Yeah.
1: So uh, Silk, I was actually kind of excited about because I was like, he. I don't have to do much. Um, he is sort of what I would consider a kind of standard D&D villain. Um, so it's Silk, uh, Silk Lennox. Um, he's a little different in this concept of a D&D fantasy world, which is he's an illusionist. Uh, so he's a wizard who specializes in illusions. Uh, which Silk in in the movie fancies himself. I don't know that he's good at any of that. It seemed like none of the nobody was convinced by his cylinder thing. I've, I don't know we talked about that much, but later the cops were like he played a cylinder over the phone, and we were supposed to believe it, and it was obviously not the case. But we'll have to say we can't prove that it was a cylinder, um, yeah. so it won't hold up in court. So yep. um, in fantasy terms, that's that's an illusionist, right? So less technology, more magic. And he owns a club. Called, we call it the Silk Club. We're not going to use the Arabian. That's sort of very specifically to a real-life situation anyway. It doesn't make as much sense. Um, so we, we stick with that original club. But he's, um, he's kind of a terrible villain. So he has very much the same concept and the same challenges, which is he churns through, unfortunately, untrustworthy. Which, by the way, let's just take a moment to realize Deacon was obviously not well-vetted and not particularly, uh, you know, shouldn't have been trusted. It sounded like he had one guy in charge of dealing with this money. They don't make a comment of, like, maybe there was somebody who got killed during the bank robbery or whatever. So he trusted Deacon, and Deacon was a terrible person to trust who then ran off with it. So um, he has the same problems. Uh, this silk has uh, a lot of issues. But that makes him an interesting villain to come in contact with because you could – potentially he could hire you for a bank robbery because that's what he does. He, he runs his club. And he bank robs on the side, but he uses illusions to make it convincing that he's always at the club. And of course, because this is D and D fantasy land, there are way more convincing things than just a cylinder that he can do to make it look like he's actually there. So that makes him pretty slippery. He's different from sort of your average, you know, trust me, I'm sneaky kind of character. So uh, I, I actually was pretty happy with the villain um, compared to the movie itself, which happens a lot. It happens a lot. After. Yeah, it does.
0: <laughs> All right. So how does he accomplish these illusions? Are they magic? Are they like real magic? Are they feigned magic? Is he really smart? How how does this work out?
1: Yeah. So Silk is, he's smart. He's not that smart. I couldn't make him super smart because I was like, he does some dumb I was stuff, kind but... of wondering. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wise, let's put it that way. Um, but he's he's pretty smart, smart enough to sort of learn magic. But essentially what he does is his la- so his club is his lair. And again, in D D terms, if you have lair actions that gives you special abilities and he has a regional effect, so he can create illusions, duplicates of himself just because when he's in his club. So that makes him very dangerous if you try and go after him in his club, which is great. So he has all kinds of illusions there. But separate from that, he has the ability to uh, do a, a couple of things. He has obviously all sort of the normal spellcasting, right, which makes him dangerous just as a spellcaster. He's a 13th level illusionist wizard, so that's he's no slouch. But on top of that, he can create an illusion of himself. He makes duplicates, so that's his big thing: is he can make it look like he's somewhere else at any point in time. He also has legendary actions, and I, in addition to commanding an ally or casting a spell, I gave him smooth as silk. I did not do finest silk. <laughs> which now that's why I was like smooth as silk. That's what I Wait, remember. Is,
0: is that an, is that an actual spell Smoothest silk?
1: It's a, no, it's a f- action I made. So oh, I named okay. it after his catchphrase oh, okay. that right. I think right. I got wrong. So, you know, okay. oh, well, too well, bad.
0: I I don't know. I could be wrong as well.
1: So I don't, know, I think I'm probably wrong, but anyway, point is I, I like smoothest silk. Cause I feel like that's the phrase normally finest silk is not, but I, I haven't bothered to check. Um, so, uh, he, he can, it basically lets him escape traps. So that's the idea is that because he's, if he uses his smoothest silk ability, he, he gets freedom of movement, which means you can't hold him. And then he can move up to his speed and basically sort of escape, which I love that he's, you know, he's like smooth as silk and then he disappears. And then if he's in his lair, he can use phantasmal force, which lets him ascent, really redo the entire environment from illusionary perspective and uh, has still more illusionary duplicates. So he's really big on not being the person you think he is uh, at all times. And that helps him get away with a lot of stuff, as you can imagine. But he's much more behind the scenes. He's, you know, Maybe he goes in a bank robbery, maybe he doesn't. The, the key is no one knows where he is at any one time, including his own gang, because he's so often using illusory duplicates that they don't know which is the real Silk until you either touch him or some kind of magic is involved. So he's definitely a slippery character, which is, I think is compelling as a villain.
0: Right. So... Is that his main thing that he does is rob banks? So then he would need to be in a place where there is a banking system, a currency system, maybe a city. Where might he fit into people's uh, campaigns that they're running?
1: Yeah, I I sometimes wonder, like, some of these characters work great if you have a bard in the party. Because if bards go on performances, then these are the places they would go to, right? So the clubs, the Silk Club would be another one. We had a villain just previously that was the same kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, he's definitely a city villain. um, And he's definitely a villain that likes to rob banks. So, yes, he's vaults of some sort. Um, But this, you know, in some ways, that's an adventurer, right? So he's kind of an interesting competing interest. Uh, And that he's the kind of person who runs his club and he runs it publicly, right? So part of the point of the Silk Club is for him to be seen there as his alibi for why he can't be somewhere else without detecting magic or or otherwise investigating him. So, yeah, he definitely is an urban character who um, really relies on polite society to not sort of just come after him with pitchforks because they're going to say, well, you know, look, I have this club. And by the way, patrons, you know, one of the things in the movie that they make that point is there's actually a lot of innocent people at the club. Uh, It's not just criminals. The criminals may be behind the scenes. Jimmy the crooner being one example is he's not really a criminal. He's kind of a ding dong doing his music. So he doesn't really understand what's happening. Um, And that's intentional, right? The idea is that the club is sort of has the facade of being legit. And uh, that's the case here too. So yeah, for those circumstances to have both the criminal enterprise and the legitimate enterprise, you do need sort of a city environment. Yes, for sure.
0: All right. And people can download this character and they can use it. And where might people find this, Mike?
1: So this character, Silk, and his friends and uh, allies are all part of 5E foes, gothic villains. We collected all of them, all 50, in a collection on Drive-Thru RPG. And you can, if you want to just buy it, you can buy it. So that's the first thing. But we are releasing each one of them for free on my Patreon, patreon.com slash T-A-L-I-E-N. That's patreon.com slash and you can go there. And if you sign up and you pay a small fee, you get access to this and hundreds of dollars of other products. But this is being uh, 5 e foe's Gothic Villains, one of the products that you get. But we also release them for free each week. We've been doing it. We've keeping the streak alive, uh, all 50. And uh, so we release them for free to the public, which means even if you're not a patron, you can see them. And if you are a patron, uh, you actually get notified when we, we share it. And to that point... You can also, uh, if you just decide to be a free follower, which you can just follow me on Patreon and follow the patreon.com slash Italian, then you will get notified when this stuff comes available. So we always recommend that because we we do monthly sales uh, on other products and we notify that mailing list. So absolutely, that's multiple ways. It's also part of a bundle, um, which is uh, the entire set of these characters uh, on in, with uh, five Info's gothic villains and the podcast itself, we actually have a bundle with all these podcasts on Drive RPG. So it, it's multiple ways. We also do a character video once a week. This video, which you'll see us talking about it, that we release to our patrons early, and then three days later we release it to the public. So there's lots of pieces of, and ways to interact with this. Uh, lots of ways to get uh, access to it, and of course we're sharing them all the time on social media. Wherever World of Wellstar, so that's World of Wellstar on Instagram, and it's on Twitter and uh facebook so we're available it's everywhere we're we've taken over the internet with these villains (laughs) one villain at a time one stupid idea bad salty villain at a time
0: well i mean i think the origins are might be bad in some cases we've had a few little gems here in this series most of them we've had some some major issues with i i think i think the villains are worth their criminal salt the ones that you so. created, maybe not so. the originals, but you know, we're just we're we're taking that little we're taking that little piece and we're improving upon it. That's how I like to think of this.
1: And I I so. really do think they do better in D D cartoon fantasy world. They just do, um, partially because there's less constraints. I mean, the the number of movies that work so hard to justify mechanically from technology perspective that they do a thing uh, where if you have magic, you just cast the spell uh, and also too like it's just a little bit more acceptable that's why i said some of these villains remind me of gi joe cartoons and sort of 1980s villains because it doesn't hold up too well but it holds up long enough for your hour-long viewing pleasure or your DD game for four hours sure yeah and i think these guys uh all of them silk too i like i like this silk i think he he's actually a pretty cool guy i like the fact that he's got his club and i love his His ridiculous layers upon layers of illusions. He's a slippery character.
0: Yeah. And people who want to use this character, I think going and watching the movie, if you didn't watch it before you listened to the episode or before you watched the character video, you might want to go back and watch the movie. And that could give you some inspiration if you are the type of DM that wants to role play these characters to the fullest. So you can certainly use that Lon Chaney Jr., the way he delivers his lines, the way he <laughs> winks and nods at the camera as he's, you know, shooting at the cops. And then he's and then he's like, look at me, I'm shooting at the cops so well, you know, so I I, I think that might actually be helpful and give people some inspiration as well as they look to role play these these characters. The work is already done. It's all done for you. You know, then you just have to execute on it. So be sure to check the show notes. If you don't know what show notes are, well, I can't help you. Uh, But just check them in your podcast app of choice. There are far too many out there for me to take you through the specifics of how to access the information. But you can always find us as World of Wellstar across all social media. DMs are open such as it is. Please don't use them for evil. A little tired of that. Okay. I think <laughs> that'll wrap it up for the Shadow of Silk Lennox 1935. By the way, where does the shadow fit in here? That what I don't remember a shadow, Mike. What what am I missing?
1: No, I I think it's like the criminal shadow, like he casts a long shadow of crime is the way I took it. That it was the shadow like his, his reputation was felt. Okay. Um, okay.
0: All right. All right.
1: I don't, I, again, way more effort assigned to this film than it probably deserves.
0: Well, so. if you're going to put that much into the title, maybe put a little bit more into some of the other aspects. That's you, what I would say.
1: You seem a little salty about this.
0: I am salty <laughs> probably 99.9% of the time.
1: It's true.
0: Okay. So but not
1: criminally so. You're adorably salty.
0: I, no, because I cannot find the criminal salt at the store. I don't know where anything is at the store anymore. So, anyway. I'll, I'm going to ask somebody next week. Okay. <laughs> Mike, as always, thank you so much. And thank you, dear listeners and viewers, for sticking with us. We appreciate you. And we will catch you next time. Mike, anything else to add? Don't make any more salt jokes. If you got nothing else, then we'll just call it. We'll call I got, it nothing, right else. Right, Bye, got nothing else. All right. Bye, everybody. Alright. <laughs> we will see you next time on 50 Date Night Screams. Take care. Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the Fifty Date Night Screams episodes, at patreoncom talion. Until next time, don't stop screaming. Fifty Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. Everything's gonna be fine as... Still.